someone said, we've got to have a system. Let's capture what we're doing now and let's iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate again and again and again with this ferocious desire for constant never-ending improvement to make that process better and better and better. And let's document what's actually happening. See, that's a really big one for people to take away. Let's document what is actually happening. Now, unfortunately, most salespeople, when they do get a system, are reading something which is so detached from reality that it actually sets them up for failure. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. I am super excited to introduce to all of you today, Dean Mannix. Dean is in Australia. It's eight o'clock his time, five o'clock my time when we recorded this, but his energy is off the charts. He's an international best-selling author, consultant, and has delivered sales, performance, and growth projects in over 25 countries. He's worked with Goldman Sachs, Oracle, Canon, Coca-Cola, the biggest of the biggest. His focus is on McDonaldizing sales growth through a more systematic and science-based approach to influence and relationships. We have talked about sales on many different episodes over the last couple of years, but I really do love Dean's approach. Uh, connected with him just a few weeks ago after hearing about him with Jeremy Olson's company, RPOA. I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. And not only that, but also just the approach that he has in general to the way he does things and his thoughts around sales, referrals, et cetera. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dean Mannix. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you ready to get out of the daily rut and begin working at your highest level? Coach P Consulting will help you do just that. Using the same strategies he did to sell over 500 life insurance policies in 2020 and on track for over 600 life insurance policies in 2021. No, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look at the behind the scenes team training and an office performing at the highest level. Coach P currently has a 100% retention rate for everyone who joins. And hey, those numbers speak for themselves. 
Coach P will train your team alongside his own to show you the exact steps they are taking to achieve chairman circle and two agencies, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club. So whether your goal is to be the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and tactics to get you there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level. His strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get 50% off your first month of coaching when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Again, that's coachpconsulting.com. Dean, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. Excited to have you. So obviously you are coming to us all the way from Australia. It is, I think, eight o'clock in the morning where you are, five o'clock here in the central time. So for people that don't know you, as I was mentioning before we got started, I came across you and your content just a few weeks ago and I thought, oh my goodness, we've got to get Dean on this podcast. I think it's going to be great. So for those that don't know you, why don't you tell a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I was thinking about this because I've heard you ask that question on other sessions and it's it's a long one, but I promise it's all relevant. I think we need to start at the end. So the end is, look, I live an amazing quality of life that I'm very grateful for here on the Gold Coast in Australia, which for those of you that don't know is is on the beach. I have a beautiful relationship with my wife, my daughter, who's in New York, by the way, you Americans stole her away from me. I have a consulting business that has clients in over 25 countries a big online sales academy. I'm an international best-selling author. I'm in my 50s and my fitness is absolutely fantastic. So I'm living an amazing life, but it's been a hell of a journey to get here. And let me explain that because I think it'll help you understand why I'm so passionate about life insurance and why I'm so passionate about selling effectively and efficiently and McDonaldizing as much of it as possible so that, you know, it's not just about you making more sales. It's about you taking the stress out of the selling, enjoying the relationships more, making sure that the physical wear and tear on you and your relationships isn't as high. So it's so much more than just money. But money is important. I'm never going to move away from that because I want all of you to be financially strong because only the strong can help the weak and people who are financially successful tend to sell much more effectively. So at 15, my life's great. Look, we grew up with no money at the start. My father had no cash, moved us to Australia from New Zealand, worked very, very hard. And by 15, we were living in one of the best suburbs in town. Life is going fantastic. And unfortunately, fate struck and I lost my father. And I am the cliched, underinsured child and family. And so we were living in the big house. That went. My mother had to go back to work literally two weeks after losing my father because they said, if you can't come back, we can't keep your job and didn't have options. We moved into a tiny little apartment and my mother was absolutely amazing, but it was really, really, really challenging. And that really drove into me this abject fear of poverty and this insatiable desire to do anything that I could possibly do to make sure that that wasn't going to be part of my life. So I bounced out of that and I studied very hard and got through school and I was working almost full time at McDonald's while I was at school because, you know, needed some money yeah. and ended up going through law. As a result of going through law, a client of mine said, look, we're having some trouble. Can you come and run this company? And so by 25 and a half, I bought them out with a financial partner. I had 137 employees, childcare centers and property developments all over the country. And I was literally on the way to the 30 under 30 rich list in Australia from absolute zero. But by 27, I'd blown it all up. I had absolutely blown it all up. And look, at the time, I would have sworn to you that it was my financial partner's fault 100%. But uh, over time, I've come to realize that maybe my arrogance and this angry little man 
inside of me caused a lot of that harm. So at 27, I'm sitting there from absolute hero to $437,000 in debt. I remember writing that number down and looking at it, just going, how did this happen? Like, how did this happen? So one of my friends said, you should sell photocopiers. And I said, you are a lunatic. You have no idea how much debt I'm in. Why would I sell photocopies? He said, no, mate, you're a lunatic. You have no idea how much you could earn with your energy and enthusiasm. I can get you a territory. It's commission only. But, mate, I reckon you could kill it. So tail between my legs, head down, I took on a job as a photocopier salesman. And it took me a little while to process the fact that, hey, I'm actually in sales, dude. You've got to buy into this and go for it. But two years later, I was out of debt, getting back on top financially. Life was going fantastic. That's how I got into training. As part of my charitable giving, I used to book a training room and get speakers to come in to speak to all these people who I wrote a, news, a motivational newsletter to. And once in a while, no speaker would turn up, so I would speak. And that's how that all started. And then people said, can you come speak to our company? I said, yeah. So I was running this photocopy business, running the training business. So yeah, look, life was great. And I was back on top and really moving forward again and back to the habits that were making me successful. And unfortunately, I was away skydiving with one of my best mates on his birthday. And obviously something went very, very wrong. And I watched my very best friend die that day. And obviously that really played with my head. But once again, lack of insurance, saw the heartache that that created amongst all the other heartache that was going on. Around about three and a half, four months later, the fellow who was my mentor, who really stepped in when my dad was taken from us, he also died of lung cancer. And again, the family home got sold up at an age where that's the last thing in the world you want happening. And so that really drove into me this absolute passion for the importance of life insurance because, you know, three times in my life I'd seen people suffer from a lack of insurance. And the fascinating thing with my father was we had $100,000 of life insurance, which is a really nice round number, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm sure that some insurance agent thought they'd done a great job of selling life insurance. And I'm sure that my father probably thought, wow, I'm a great person for buying it. But no one obviously did any sums on the reality of how much money was going to be required to maintain the lifestyle, let alone not have lifestyle downsized dramatically. So that caused me to sort of reflect on what I wanted to do. I could have gone back into sales. Obviously, I was doing really well at it and I really enjoyed it. But the thing I enjoyed more was actually training people and motivating people. And that's how I ended up in this game. And 20 years later, wow, what a ride, you know, 25 plus countries, amazing clients along the way, like Oracle in technology, News Corp in media, Goldman Sachs in finance, Coca-Cola and FMCG, Canon in print management. So, you know, the who's who. And they've just flown me around the world to figure out what the best salespeople do and then help them systemize it so that they can train it right across their business. And I get so excited about the frontline results because I remember what it was like to be starting out in sales, be commission only, have all those anxiety and all of that identity crisis around how I'm in sales. Like, how do I feel about this? So, yeah, that's how it all happened. That's how it all got there. That's awesome. I've actually said it on the podcast many times. Your mess becomes your message. Your mess yeah, becomes nice. your message. And all right. So I have so many questions I want to ask you. The first question I want to ask is because you have traveled the world, you have spoke with small companies all the way to Fortune 100 companies. What is the difference between the people that hear a message, a training message, and actually go and implement and do and get results and change their life in a sales position and the ones who don't. They hear it. They say that's a really good idea, but actually nothing changes. What is the difference between those people? And for those listening to this podcast, whether it's yours or any other one, they actually make a change in their life. Yeah. Look, I would say the number one thing that makes a difference is the coach that they're surrounded by. 
there's always that top 15, 20%. They're going to take any message, feed it into their computer system internally and run with it. And funnily enough, they're normally the most successful people in the room. But for that middle 60%, is there someone around you that's going to remind you about it, challenge you on it, discuss it with you, hold you accountable for using it, make you reflect on whether or not it's making a difference. And that's why I'm really passionate about this concept of sales coaching and enabling sales leaders to have better conversations and deliver better coaching to the people that are around. It's very difficult to coach yourself. Yeah. Like it's very, very difficult. Look, it's far better to have listened to the message, got excited and then going back to your life and then do that again and again and again. But it's another level if you've got someone who can coach you on it and really bring it into your life and your way of being. Yeah, I think that's so true. When we think about athletes, and I know all the great athletes in Australia with football there and obviously sports here in the States, they all have coaches. In fact, a team of coaches that they're utilizing. And so why would we not have the same thing in business? Why do you think some people are hesitant to actually bring on a coach or a consultant for those that don't do that and don't invest in themselves? Yeah. So I think there's a lot we can learn from athletes and their relationship with their coaches. But the thing that goes missing there is that athlete showed up to that coaching session, probably actually seeking that coach out, having an absolute passion for what they do, having an identity that their whole life has been built around for that activity. And so that's a very different coaching relationship to the one that most salespeople have with their boss, right? And so I think we need to help people believe that coaching can make a profound difference in their life and that coaching is about so much more than just holding people accountable to KPIs. And so I think the difference is there's people who've had success with a coach and just can't get enough of it. But most people haven't. I was so lucky that the first sales manager I got was an amazing coach, an amazing trainer, had systemized everything you needed about how to sell a photocopier and had a really nice balance between coaching you and pumping you up and really giving you one on the back of the head if you weren't following through. But so few salespeople get that. And insurance, it's scary, right? So much of it's about who you end up sitting next to. And if you're lucky enough to sit next to a high performer who genuinely cares about their customers and clients, is constantly thinking about the quality of the conversation, improving it, and has a mental resilience and passion for what they do, then, hey, away you go. But how many people sit next to that person when they start selling insurance? That's such a good point. All right. So we're going to get to really the core question I wanted to ask, which is McDonaldizing your sales process. So we're going to get there in just a second, but I'm curious, and this question is not specifically around just what we've all gone through the last two years with COVID, but it really has more to do with just what you've seen change in the sales career over the last, say, 20 years. So what do you think has changed and what has stayed the same since you started coaching and training 20 plus years ago? Yeah, for sure. Look, I think what's changed is the amount of noise in the head of the person you're selling to. And that comes from a bunch of different areas. So one, the amount of noise that's competing for your attention, right? So we're competing for their attention, but there's so much noise that's also competing that it's harder and harder and harder to get through and, and engage people. I think the the perception around optionality, so people are much more likely to want to go and search and find out things for themselves and not immediately buy because they have access to so many things so easily. I think the number of mixed messages people get, people are unfortunately over-educated in relation to so many things that they're purchasing. And because they're over-educated, they're confused. And that stat that really blew me away out of the US, which I think is about four years old, was that 70% of people were reporting that they were more confused about what life insurance to buy after speaking to an advisor than they were before. And that blew my brain. And that was a very robust piece of research. And so I think the thing that's changed is the amount of noise that we need to manage and we need to be aware of when we're engaging someone in that insurance conversation as part of their purchasing journey. 
otherwise, you know what? Things haven't changed. There's so much hype in media and good marketing around everything's changed and now the buyer's in control and you can do it with digital lead generation and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, it's, it's all just get rich quick speak. Yeah. Simple reality is we still have to wear out the shoe leather or wear out the phone leather. People still have the same core needs, same influence strategies, ethical influence strategies work. And by the way, the same unethical influence strategies still work. People still have a massive need for life insurance and arguably more so than ever because we're such good little consumers that the lifestyle we're protecting now when we sell someone life insurance is far greater than the lifestyle that we would have had to protect for them 20 years ago. You think about it, 20 years ago, consumerism was live in a house that meets your needs, have a car that drives and feed the kids. Now it's like, no, 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 private school, a brand new car, a fifth bedroom, a new computer, an 80-inch TV every other year. These are now staple needs that life insurance needs to cover. So that's changed, but that just means that bigger amounts are required to protect people from a downsized lifestyle. Well, I think you're so right about all of that, especially the noise that there's so many people being bombarded with so many different things all the time with the scrolling of Instagram and Facebook, and I'm guilty of it and Twitter, et cetera. So I think it's actually a great segue into the topic of productizing. So the people that are listening to this, incredibly successful business owners have sales teams themselves, and they understand intellectually that they need to have a documented sales process that they repeat over and over. So they know that, but they just really don't take the time to actually put together a sales process. But if they do, they don't necessarily know that the sales process that they have is actually yes. the best one. And it's really going to be the one that's going to get results, right? So you can yes. speak to both of those and just talk to us about what McDonaldizing our uh, sales process is. Yeah. Okay. So when I first started at McDonald's, right, the first job I got was mopping the floor. But they didn't just give me a bucket and a mop and say mop the floor. They gave me a one-page strategy for mopping the floor more effectively. Now, 35, gosh, 38 years later, I tell you, I'm really good at mopping floors. Like that system has never left me. It taught me which corner of the room to start in, how much water to put in the bucket and what temperature, how much soap, how to carry the bucket up the stairs in a safe way, basically what the ideal mopping pattern was, what to do if there was food on the floor, what to do if there was customers at tables. It taught me everything about mopping. And that didn't happen because someone sat down once and went, oh, what's the best way to mop the floor? That happened because someone said, we've got to have a system. Let's capture what we're doing now and let's iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate again and again and again with this ferocious desire for constant, never-ending improvement to make that process better and better and better. And let's document what's actually happening. See, that's a really big one for people to take away. Let's document what is actually happening. Now, unfortunately, most salespeople, when they do get a system, are reading something which is so detached from reality that it actually sets them up for failure. And this is why I think, you know, you came to me through RPOA and we talk about scripting strategies and I'm very, very passionate about scripts and word tracks and making every single word count. But so often when sales managers or training teams try to put together what you should say, it looks great on paper, but it sounds terrible. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. I need to interrupt, but that is so true. On paper, it's good. But whenever they actually say it, you're like, I would never buy from you. You sound like that you're on. Well, I would never say that to my friend, would I? No. I would never never say that. And the moment I'm saying something, I would never say my credibility just went out the door. So the thing is, they're systemizing the wrong thing. They're systemizing the sale as opposed to systemizing the conversation. Mm. And they're two different things. You see, if you have a fantastic insurance conversation, the sale will take care of itself. If you try to have a sales conversation, then there's a high probability that person's going to shop around 
or at the very least not feel totally comfortable. So yes, and you can systemize it. The whole thing is you you absolutely can systemize it if you're focused on the conversation and if you keep road testing things. You see, I think that a lot of people write stuff down, rolled out in a training program and everyone's too embarrassed to say, I would never say that. And the person training often is away from the field. And once again, it looks great on paper, but it doesn't work. And so people go, systemization doesn't work. Scripts don't work. Training doesn't work. They all have the, the potential to work. But the way we're doing them is detached from reality and not focused on a great conversation. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions from creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a State Farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com and be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue, and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. So for someone who hears that and says, man, he has hit it because I mean, you're right. Where is the first step? What is like the first step someone should take to say, okay, well, I'll actually want to systematize this, but I want to do it the right way. I don't want to do it in a way when I'm role playing with my team that everybody's like, I mean, look, I'll go through the role play here because my boss is asking me to do this or the sales manager is asking me to do this, but I really do not want to say it this way. Okay, cool. So I think the first thing is, is for the people creating the training, think in terms of proven practice rather than best practice. What's the difference? Best practice is what some consultant expert will tell you will work the best and that they've done research on the top 27 companies and determined it's the best. I don't care about that. What I care about is proven practice. What is my best salesperson saying in this moment to get a result? And how do I capture the exact words, the exact tone? and the exact moment at which they deliver that. So proven practice means that great leaders need to spend more time observing, more time capturing what's really going on and get better and better at better at documenting it. Now, what's super exciting for me in this virtual environment is so much of our selling at the moment is happening over the phone or over Zoom. Now, the beauty of that is you can record it. And that's exciting because if you can record it, you can do a really deep observation on it and you can share it, and you can demonstrate what's really going on, and you can show people what reality is, as in the way they present versus the way someone else presents, the word track they really used versus the word track they think they used. 
So the biggest uplifts I generally get are in call centers because we can capture reality 100% perfect. And here's the next tip. You can only systemize one thing at a time and it's a small thing. Okay, so literally I'm doing some work with a client who owns a car dealership and we're, we're really systemizing the entire process. And the first exercise for the first three days was to systemize literally the sales consultant walking from the, the position they stand in towards the receptionist as she greets the people walking in and doing the exchange and the handover from the receptionist to the guests. And that's all we're working on. Everyone goes, no, 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 we should be working on the next bit, the next bit. No, 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 stop. Let's just capture the perfect word track, the perfect engagement, whose hand you shake and whether you even shake hands at the moment, what position you interact with and do you walk forward towards them or do you wait them to come towards you? What do you say to the receptionist to show them that you're a courteous and kind person and that you have a relationship with him or her? And when you actually focus on one small piece, you pick up all these micro distinctions and it's the micro distinctions that create the Olympic athlete. It's not the big muscles. They've all got big muscles. Mm. It's the micro distinction after micro distinction after micro distinction. And you only get that when you focus on one small piece of the puzzle at a time. I think that's so great because I often say that trajectory is greater than speed. So what you're saying is, is like begin with this thing is like you were saying about McDonald's, which by the way, I thought was just an incredible, like mental. I think everybody was able to picture like this one pager that you got. 30 years ago, whatever, on how to actually mop the floors, which is great. And if they can systematize that that long ago, no wonder why they were able to become a multi-billion dollar company. But anyway, so I think that that's awesome because we seem to want to try to be perfectionist and documenting the everything as opposed to, well, let's just start with the first thing that happens and then work with it over a longer period of time. And as you said, iterate. Where do you think along the way people get excited about the documentation of the process, but then they get stuck and then they stop? Okay, so they're 25% of the way through it or 50% of the way through it, and then they just bail. Yeah. They just say, this it's is great. not yeah. working. So two things happen. One is overwhelmed. So they try to document everything, which is in effect documenting nothing, right? So the bottom line is you get overwhelmed. And those of you that have read anything around motivation, goal setting theory, know that chunking it down into small pieces will make you far more successful than trying to do everything at once. There's an inverse correlation between the amount of things you try to achieve and the amount of things you will achieve. You try to achieve 10 things, you'll achieve nothing. You try to achieve one thing, you are much more likely to be successful. So the first reason is overwhelm. The second reason is, and this is fascinating, I was having this conversation with a client yesterday who sells memberships to hotels, a hotel group over the phone. And they had done some amazing work on scripting. But the scripting on how to complete the call and celebrate the sale and finish the call on a high was non-existent. People run out of steam. And it's interesting, if you think about it, if 75 to 90% of the customer's perception of the service experience is generated by the last 10% of the call or the meeting, you'd want to be really good at that part of the call or meeting. Hmm. But people just run out of steam. And as a result of running out of steam and getting tired, They deprioritize how important those things are and go, it's okay, as long as we get the sale, that's all that matters. Mm. Versus going, you know what, I'm building a lifelong relationship here. I'm creating an advocate here. I'm avoiding buyer's remorse here. I better get the end part right. I had this conversation with him yesterday. I said, I think you should start your training with the end part as if they just made a sale and then say, and this is the ideal scenario. Now let's go back to how we get there. I love it. So, And look, it's patience, right? A previous business partner and I, who I love dearly, used to have this saying called urgent patience. 
which meant we were super urgent about stuff and super relentless and motivated and focused, but we were patient about the fact there was only so many things we could do at any one time. And every time we tried to do too many things, we got ourselves into lots of trouble. We were very smart people doing very dumb things. And I love that. I love urgent patience. I love that. I'm going to take that one away as a key takeaway. All right. So I want to ask referrals, gaining referrals has something that has come up often with different guests. When I was preparing for our conversation, I heard you say, using your customers as your business development team. And I was like, huh, I've not heard it that way before. So can you speak to that? And then also a lot of people may not be familiar with the customer score where they get a net promoter score. Okay. So a lot of people don't know what that is. So you can talk about that. But one of the things I heard you say is these companies will have a high net promoter score and get no referrals. So yes. for those that don't know what that score is, talk mm-hmm. about what that is, why that's important, how companies use that, but then go back to obviously discussing using your customers as business development. Sure. So a very rapid NPS net promoter score uh, lesson is your customers get asked either at the end of a call, the end of a meeting, after a transaction, how likely would you be to refer that person or our company? And it's a score of one to 10 and nine and 10 is definitely refer seven and eight means that they're, they're kind of neutral and one to six means that they're actually a detractor as in, they're not that excited by you. So the goal for every company measuring this is to get as many nine and tens as possible, which I find personally interesting because in Australia, we don't mark our friends nine and 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's put that to the side. But so what we often have is, so you've got these companies that are basically saying, well, Dean, 85% of our clients are referring, are saying they would refer and less than 3% actually are. And most companies can't tell you how many people are referring and yet they tell me referrals are important. So that's interesting. You know, if you're not measuring it, it doesn't matter that much. But it's happening for a couple of reasons. One, identity of the salesperson. They're not a person who believes in being helped by their clients or they're not a person who believes they deserve to be helped by their clients. Mm. Now, I can't speak for America, but in Australia, definitely the male population over here is very stoic and I don't need anybody's help and I can do it on my own, which I think is crazy. I actually believe one of the most important questions any salesperson can ask when they're doing business planning each year is who can help me? And probably, hopefully, the most obvious answer is my dear clients slash customers, right? So there's an identity issue and then there's a skill issue. So most of us were taught to ask for referrals in a way that is not consistent with relationships and human psychology. Now, what do I mean by that? If I said to you, okay, so I could say to you right now, Bradley, you must have someone you could refer me. You know, lots of sales teams. Come up with a couple of names. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that puts a lot of pressure on you, right? It does. (laughs) It, It does. And a lot of people, when they're under pressure, their brain fogs up. And even though they'd like to refer you, they can't come up with names. And so a less direct approach... And a more conversational approach I found is much more successful. And what I mean by that is strive to have referral conversations rather than asking directly for referrals. So for example, I could get to the end of this session and say, hey, Bradley, I've really enjoyed this chat. Look, is there anything I can do to make it easier for you to refer me? And we can have a chat about that. Or when you ring me up, if you're one of my customers and Bradley, you say, Dean, how are you going? I can say, yeah, great. Getting lots of referrals. So talking to plenty of new people. And I love that side of the business. How are you going? And I can send you a signal that others are referring. So the challenge that most people have is they've never been taught how to ask for a referral in a way that they feel comfortable about and is consistent with the relationship and the conversation they want to have. And once again, this comes back to, you know, I think I've got 18 specific scripting strategies in my referrals program 
with all the word tracks because I've seen so many people ask in a way that causes failure. And if we do something enough times and it's causing failure, we just stop doing it. You give me the wrong strategy, the wrong script, something that feels uncomfortable, even if I use it, if I continuously fail with it, I'm becoming impervious to coaching and training and I'm definitely not going to use that script. Well, that's so true. One of the referral word tracks, I heard you say on another podcast, or I'm not sure where I picked it up from, but you said, if somebody says, how's business? And we always, at least here in the States, we'll say like, oh, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. You, you said, you said to say, I'm busy, but there's always room for another client. And yeah, nice. I was like, I love that. That is really good. I am definitely going to put that one in my arsenal for sure. So yeah, I think you're right because it doesn't matter for the teams that we're leading how much we've spent on coaching and training. If it's actually not working, they're going to try it once or twice and then they're going to bail on it. And this whatever workshop we've went to or training programs while in our library, we have three ring binders of all the things that we spent money on and actually never truly used, which is really goes to the first question, our very first question I asked, which is what's the difference between some of the ones that actually yeah. work and the ones that don't. So one of the other questions I want to ask you is regarding uh, morning routine, because I think that you're so passionate about this. And why is the morning routine that you have and what you teach, why is it so important to the success that, what, that you've had, but also to the sales teams that you've been able to coach over your career? Yeah, some of you may have seen the small win in the morning session that I did on YouTube. And I think the reason I'm most passionate about it is because I notice the difference in myself if I don't get the morning right. Like if I don't get my exercise in, if I wake up and I look at Facebook and LinkedIn instead of reading something or listening to something that's going to nourish my brain and motivate me, there's a profound difference in how productive I am for the first three hours of the day. And I don't know about you, but if I'm not productive for the first three hours of the day, I find it very hard to get productive in the afternoon unless I've got a hideous deadline. I don't want my life to be driven by deadline after deadline after deadline, day after day after day. That's not healthy mentally, physically, emotionally. So the reason I'm so passionate about winning the morning is for most people, there is enough time. They can get everything they need to do to be successful in sales done before midday. If they would just start at 7.30 or 8, and if they would just apply absolute intensity to the things that matter the most. So one of the things that every salesperson should be doing is the night before they leave the office or the night before they close down their home office or the night before they close down their laptop, just write out a post-it note of the most important thing you need to do in the morning. The first thing you need to do, if you have to put it inside your laptop so that when you open your laptop, it's there speaking to you. Just if you can do something that really matters and makes a difference in your life first up, it's amazing how much that creates this causal link of success and motivation and enthusiasm that lasts at least till 11, 30, 12 in the day. And you know what? If you've had a super successful morning and you goof off for the afternoon, you're still going to be okay. But if you goof off in the morning, it's really hard to make a comeback in the afternoon. So to me, mornings really, really matter. I'm an early to bed, early to rise. But even if you are a late riser, like you rise at 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m., if you can just make sure the first stuff you do is nourishing you and motivating you, it'll have a profound difference on how much you achieve each and every week, each and every month, each and every year. I love that. Those in the States that have not been able to be introduced to your work, I mean, you are without a doubt one of the most successful sales coaches around the world, especially in Australia and New Zealand. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to have you on the podcast. What is one thing that we did not touch on that you want to leave our audience of business owners and sales managers, and then obviously sales teams with that we didn't touch on that you feel like is really important? I think the concept of, you know, Simon Sinek's calling it why, some people call it your mission, some people call it your compelling story. That's right, the words I use. 
I think this concept has been bandied around as a popular view, but people aren't digging deep enough into it. The reality is, as you can imagine, with my background, if I was actually out there selling life insurance, nobody would escape me because my intent to protect you and your family and to refuse to accept you not having a discussion about what the ideal cover would be is infused into every cell in my body. And so the clearer you can get about why it is that you're selling what you're selling and why it is that you're passionate about the problems that it solves, the clearer you can get on that, the more you can meditate on it, reflect it, pray about it, call it whatever you want. But the more you can really internalize that into every cell in your body and every part of your heart, the easier sales becomes. And I think that as organizations, we don't spend enough time and celebration in the life space is probably the wrong word, but really internalizing what success is and how much of an impact what we do has on the families that we protect and provide for. I mean, I often say, guys, we're not saving lives, but we're pretty damn close because we're saving the livelihoods of those that are left behind. And if we could just spend more time really helping insurance agents connect with that again and again and again, so many of the problems we have in the sales space would, would just go away because they'd just be having genuine protect and provide conversations instead of pricing conversations. You know, that's so true. And can I ask you a question around that though, that what if somebody is listening to this and they say, okay, like I get that, but I myself, maybe I'm 24, 25, 26 years old. I'm a year, two years into working at an agent's office, working somewhere or selling life insurance themselves, but I don't have a story. So I've not had that happen to me in my personal life. And I've not had that happen to one of my clients yet. What can you say to that person for them to say that? Because you have it because it is your story. It is your compelling story. As yeah, absolutely. You say, right. Go and do the numbers Look on your own family. Seriously, do the numbers around. If one of your parents disappeared tomorrow, what would the impact on your family and the people you care about be? Because in most scenarios, you're going to realize that there's a lack of cover and that that would have a dramatic impact. Now, a lot of you go, it's okay, I'd support my mum, But the people who say that aren't supporting themselves. Go and talk to your grandparents. Go and have a chat. You know, have we lost any family members and what was the impact? And own the stories of the agents around you. So sales leaders need to be more vivid and deliberate about telling the stories of those that were covered and those that chose not to cover and then came back. I think until you have a conversation with a partner who's been left behind and is in financial trouble and says, why didn't you make my husband or wife buy more or actually buy some insurance? Until you've had that and you've had to look them in the eye and see what was going on, you're never truly going to understand what it is that you're doing and why it matters so much. But in the meantime, look, if you can't get there, then seriously, jump into the book, take on the systems and the processes because, and if it's not mine, it's somebody else's, there are strategies that you can use to still have a fantastic conversation despite the fact that you don't own the pain that is behind a lack of insurance or buying the wrong cover. I love this conversation. I've picked up a lot when I have like six pages of notes that are written down in my notebook. Dean, if people want to connect with you, learn more about how you can help them and their teams, where is the best place for them to go? And then we'll get into our E9 rapid fire questions. For sure. So look, I would say just jump on Google and grab a copy of Protect and Provide. Everything's in there. There's 310 pages of systems, scripts, strategies, all built around a sales methodology. And I don't believe that there's an insurance agent in the world that couldn't benefit from reading that and talking about it and discussing it, right? So that's number one. Number two, you can reach out to me just at dean at deanmanix.com with any questions. 
I love people sales problems. I love talking about sales and feel free to ask any questions. And those are the two best channels. Right now, my website, I'm revamping and rebuilding it. I'm finally getting around to that because my business is built on referrals, not the website, but uh, that'll be really schmicking about six weeks to eight weeks, but don't go there. Just dean at deanmakes.com. I love conversations. Hey, he practices what he preaches. He grows his business off referrals. What a novel idea. <laughs> yeah, crazy. All right, you ready for the E9? Last book that you read. So Measure What Matters, John Dewar. That's a great book. That is a great yeah. book. Other than your book, what's the book that you would recommend the most to other small business owners? Think and Grow Rich or The Big Leap, depending on where you're at. Both. So Fantastic. Think and Grow Rich, if you just need some motivation and enthusiasm, The Big Leap, if you feel like your own worst enemy, you're slowing yourself down. What is your favorite quote? When you're green, you grow. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> That's good. I Ray Kroc. I love it. If there was a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you in that movie? I'll go with Tom Cruise because I admire his success. Love it. What is your favorite tech tool or app that you use on a regular basis? Outlook. I'm still amazed by all technology and something that can manage my time and get stuff out of my brain. I love. Who would you love to sit next to on a 10-hour flight, dead or alive, and why? Tony Robbins. I actually sat in the spa and had a chat with him once about 20 years ago. And I just love the way he looks at and processes the world and humans. He is incredible. I heard Tony last week for the first time. I had got four hours with Tony in a room. Oh my goodness, most incredible experience ever. Yes, I totally agree with it. Fill in the blank. 20 years ago, I had no idea that this would be so hard. Loving, mm. loving my family. But gee, it's so rewarding that it's worth the effort. That's awesome. What have you learned the most about yourself during the pandemic? I'm actually a really good introvert. I'm happy being in my little studio in my dark room all alone, pumping stuff out. So it's funny, most people would think I'm a massive extrovert, but I really like my quiet time. You know what's interesting? For those of you that listen to the podcast, his answer, you're the fourth person that has answered that question exactly the same way, which is really yeah. fascinating to me. So I'm going to keep asking it. <laughs> all right, last question. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Coach sales people, not sales. Love that. Dean, this has been a pleasure of mine. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you back on in the future. I'd love to come back. This conversation's got so many places to go. It's an honor, and I really appreciate getting access to your audience. And for all of you out there, I really do wish you the better sales life. It's out there for you no matter what. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really did pick up so much from that conversation with Dean. A couple of things. Number one, whenever he said, when I asked him, why do people stop? He said, they overwhelm. They try to do everything. And number two is they just simply run out of steam. That led him into sharing about urgent patience, which I've never heard of. And I really like that, wrote that down and circled that one. I also really loved whenever he talked about the difference between best practice and proven practice. And that is very applicable. No matter where you're listening to this podcast throughout the country, it may be different if you're in a rural part of the country, if you're in the Southeast, if you're in the Northwest, if you're in the Northeast, in LA, whatever it may be. And so you got to figure out what works specifically for where you are in your customer base. And I never actually heard it said proven practice versus best practice. You know, there are a few things Every episode is usually one or two things that really stand out that kind of go in my quiver, so to speak. That is definitely one of them, along with quiet 
or excuse me, urgent patients. Last two things that really I picked up on was whenever he started talking about referrals and using your customers as the business development arm of your organization. And, but I thought he went through and really started to break it down as to why are people not getting referrals? And one of the ones he talked about was it's either an identity issue. I don't deserve to be helped. Or number two, it's actually a skill issue and transitioning from actually specifically asking for a name versus having a referral conversation. It seems to be a lot more, you know, people are not binary. They're not like zero or a hundred percent. They actually have to kind of be warmed up through a sales process. And I felt like that was his approach with referrals. And then the second thing is, or last thing is whenever he talked about his morning routine and morning routines have come up again with a lot of different guests on other episodes, but you can definitely tell how passionate he is about winning the morning. So what is your routine? And even just one little tidbit there, writing down on a sticky note, putting it inside of your computer before you flip it up the next day of saying, this is the most important thing that I need to get done. This is the most important thing that I need to get done so that you're actually doing something that really matters versus just, quote, being busy. Grateful to all of you. The podcast has grown exponentially over the last couple of years, more than we ever thought. But we want to thank you, our loyal listening audience. If it wasn't for you and our podcast sponsors, we would not be able to have incredible guests like Dean on. Big shout out to our sponsors, Direct Clicks, Coach P Consulting, and of course, Club Capital. If you are wanting to have a better presence online through your SEO PPC. And if you don't even know what those acronyms mean, you definitely need to reach out to our friends at DirectClicks, directclicksinc.com. Hey, at the time of this recording, we're getting to the end of the year. How's your year been? Has it been what you actually thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year? Or do you want 2022 to be the year you actually level up? And just like Dean said, you need to have great coaching, none better than Coach P Consulting. Reach out to Coach P Consulting. Com and make sure you mention the Club Capital Podcast and you'll get 50% off your first month. And of course, couldn't do this without our partners at Club Capital, the nation's largest advisory firm for insurance agency owners. If you've not booked your no obligation demo, make sure you go to club.capital and book your no obligation demo. All right, folks, this was a great one. Thanks so much for your loyalty. Until next episode, lead well. 